This podcast is from the team at Healthcare IT Leaders, a national leader in IT consulting and workforce solutions serving top U.S. hospital systems. You can support our show by leaving a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Now here's our latest episode. I think the biggest opportunity is I'm so proud that we're on a single instance of Epic. I'm so proud we're on, you know, a single ERP and, and cloud fusion. But as I remind my team, even though that may have been multiple year journey, multiple hundreds of millions to get there, that's really step one. Now that we're on those standard platforms, how do we simplify things mm-hmm. massively, right? How do we simplify the policy? How do we simplify the business processes? How do we make it so that those systems are truly force multipliers? From healthcare IT leaders, you're listening to Leader to Leader with Ben Hilmes. On today's episode, our guest is BJ Moore, an award-winning CIO and EVP of Real Estate Operations at Providence. As a CIO, BJ draws upon deep technological expertise from his years at Microsoft to advocate for a better patient experience by utilizing cloud computing and artificial intelligence. BJ, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate your time, and because I know you're one of the busiest people I actually know. Your calendar, Thanks, I can't imagine what what that looks like. But, you know, you you play a really significant leadership role, not only from an execution level, but a strategy level at one of the largest health systems in the country. Uh, I think it'd be good for our listeners just to get a perspective of the scale of the organization and really, sure. you know, your span of control and what you what you think about when you wake up every day from a from a scope standpoint. Sure. So let me start with my name and title, and that'll give your listeners some some context. So BJ Moore, I'm the Chief Information Officer and also responsible for real estate strategy and operations here at Providence. So kind of a unique scope with both IT as well as real estate. Providence is one of the large, largest health systems in the United States, as you mentioned. We're primarily here in the West Coast in seven states. We've got 120,000 caregivers. We do about $27 billion in revenue. We have 52 hospitals and over a thousand clinics. So very large, diverse health system here on the West Coast. Wow. The real estate aspect is, is kind of unique. There's a couple of partners yeah. we work with that have spun off some technology companies that have included the whole real estate concept from a growth M&A perspective. So I, I'm starting to see more and more of that yep. in your space. So you're a pioneer for sure there. Every topic, every conversation I've had with technology leaders over seems like the past year, the first thing out of their mouth is artificial intelligence. I heard you talk at the Oracle World Conference and I, I you you s- distinctly separated classical a or classic AI versus generative okay. AI. And I, I found that pretty intriguing. I think it would be can you help our listeners kind of understand your your kind of position on that and, and how you think yeah. about that? Well, let me give some context of why I kind of have the two nomenclatures. So we went to the, our board of directors about six months ago to talk about generative AI. And the feedback immediately was like, my gosh, this sounds amazing. But, you know, this sounds risky as well. This is this new unproven technology. How are we going to deploy it? And I immediately, you know, thought, well, no, we've been doing AI for a, a while. We're but we've been doing classical artificial intelligence, machine learning. And so I educated the board, you know, what that looked like over the last five years. You know, that's 
predictive scheduling, it's predictive forecasts, it's looking at supplies, it's, you know, kind of these classical mathematical models that we've been using AI for a while. So it gave my board a lot of assurance that although generative AI is new, we've been doing AI for a while. So from then on, I kind of, you know, talk about it in two camps. There's classical AI, which has, you know, still a lot of value, kind of the mathematical model, predictive things that we've been using for years and kind of fine tune. And now generative AI, this new kind of tool in our toolbox moving forward. And, you know, just as it gave my board confidence that although it's a new technology, we've had experience with AI. I find as I talk about it, it also creates a nice framework for people. No, that's great. That's actually a really good distinction. And I assume you've got a full agenda on the classic side. You're going to continue to drive. It'd be interesting to have you talk about specifically at Providence, when you think about generative, where are you yep. guys focused right now? Because, you know, I, like you say, there's lots of hype about it. People want to yep. believe there's massive upside, but there's also risk components, there's timing components, et cetera. I would love yep. to hear what your agenda is on the generative side. I don't mean to pick on IBM, but I'll use that as kind of a cautionary tell. You know, when IBM came out with Watson, they immediately tried to solve, you know, cure cures for cancer. Right. And so kind of learning from that mistake, doing something similar, kind of doing the opposite with generative AI. How do we start to experiment with it? How do we begin to get value out of it, but do it in a lower risk way? And so we think about generative AI in two buckets. One is the bespoke bucket where we partner with folks like Microsoft and, and their Azure Open AI to build our own solutions. So inbox management, as an example, it's something that we have in production. It's, I think, read 70,000 messages. And what it is, is it's generative AI that reads the inbox of our clinicians within Epic and triages those, those messages. You know, this message is for scheduling. This message is for side effects. This is for a pharmacy, you know, a reorder. And we've already seen huge value in it. We had somebody that some, you know, used to be first in, first out. So it could be three days before a doctor could get to your message. But with generative AI, we actually had to read the message and it alerted us that somebody was having suicidal ideation. So instead of waiting three days, you know, first in, first out for our doctors to get to that, we were able to put that at the, the top of the mailbox. So it's not only a productivity tool for our doctors, you know, working on the messages that have the highest importance, but it's also patient safety in this, in this example. And we're also using it as our chat bot. So our chat bot kind of uses classical AI for a while. Her name is Grace and we've introduced generative AI with Grace. And so, you know, the messages I mess, uh, mentioned earlier, we've been able to reduce those by 20%. Is through the discussions with Grace, patients are able to get the answers that they need without ever going to a clinician or one of our caregivers. And so those are examples of things that we're doing on the bespoke side of things where we're custom building solutions. And you can see they have clinical benefits, but we're not asking it to make clinical decisions. Right. Right. How do we help our, our doctors or our patients become more effective? And then the other thing is partnerships, and it's what I'm calling the easy button. I need to come up with a better framework. So we've got Bespoke, which are our custom solution, and the easy button, which is where we're working with partners like Microsoft and adopting their Copilot technology in Office 365. We're partnering with Epic. Epic's building a lot of great new AI capabilities integrated within their product. We're working with Oracle. That's why I was at the cloud world. They're implementing a lot of great AI features into their Cloud Fusion product. And so I'd call that the easy button because 
we can decide as a health system, do we want to turn those features on or off, tune those features, focus on the change management. So it's easy in that we didn't have to engineer it and we can just focus on the adoption business impact. So we're, we're making sure to do both, leverage our partnerships and do the easy button solutions. But also we've got great engineering talent. There's things that we think we can do with this emerging technology to build bespoke solutions. That's great. And we're actually going to talk about that engineering talent a little later relative yep. to competitiveness and uh, et cetera. But before we do that, so, you know, I, when I was with the Adventist Health, I walked into that health system and we had 1,700 different applications across the enterprise. Yep. And we're like, holy cow, we want to, you know, get more out of the data center business, more into the, our cloud journey, get some rationalization yep. going on. I know you've been a proponent of how the simplification is is a better yep. way to go. You're ahead of most people in the industry on that front. Talk, talk to our listeners about how you kind of approach that coming from big tech into healthcare and you've yep. made tremendous strides there over the past several years. Yeah, so I was at Microsoft for 27 years. My last role there was in the Azure division, and I helped move their commercial business from on-premise to the cloud. So I had that experience firsthand. And when I joined Providence four years ago, came up with this strategic mantra around simplify, modernize, and innovate. Ben, I hear you had 1,700 apps at Adventist. Yeah. God yeah. bless you. When I joined, we had 4,000 here at Providence. I wish we only had 1,700. Wow. So, wow. you know, that's where Simplify became our core pillar, right? I'm not going to create 4,000 great experiences. I'm not going to secure 4,000 apps. I'm not going to move 4,000 applications to the cloud. So how do we just retire those? And as part of that, we also standardize on platforms. So we had 10 ERP systems. We moved to Oracle Cloud. We had multiple instances of Epic. We had Meditech and we had all scripts. So we moved to a single instance of Epic. You know, we had multiple communications platforms. We had Zoom. We had WebEx. We had Teams. We, you know, standardized on Teams. So that Simplify was kind of a core tenet of ours. I almost think of it as Maslow's hierarchy of needs where, you know, Simplify is kind of the eating, breathing, sleeping of Maslow's. If you don't take care of those, you can't do the more advanced things. Right. Like modernize, right? How do you, as you mentioned, how do you get out of the data center business? I always joked with my team. I don't know that they appreciated the joke, but we're not going to out data center our competition. People don't come to Providence because I run a better data center. And so how do we, you know, in this case, we leverage Microsoft Azure, leverage somebody else's expertise to manage the data centers, to manage the workflow, the compute, the storage, the backup, those capabilities. And we can focus on our differentiation, which is providing, you know, great healthcare to our communities. And so that's kind of the middle layer of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, maybe sending the kids to school, right? You got to have the basics first and then you can do the modern stuff. And that really sets us up for innovation, which is really like, you know, the, you know, self-actualization part of, of Maslow's hierarchy of the needs. And so because we've been able to simplify our application ecosystem, because we're on, you know, modern cloud, cloud platforms like Azure or Oracle's Cloud Fusion, we can do that innovation. So I, I would like to say a year ago, I saw generative AI coming. I, I didn't. If we were doing this a year ago, I would have said we were still five years away. But because we had the foresight to make these investments over the last three or four years, we're uniquely set up to really take advantage of this, right. this wave of innovation. Right. Because all this innovation is happening in the cloud. You can do some of the generative AI on-prem. But if you're not on cloud, you're not cloud native, not leveraging partners that are on the cloud, you really can't take advantage of these new 
ways of technology. So we're, we're very fortunate to have the insight or foresight to, to, to execute on the strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic to think an organization your size with your scale is actually very nimble. And it's largely, you know, pivoted on because you've simplified your infrastructure. And, yeah. you know, I talked to a lot of CIOs and they are just, you know, dead set on having a data center and, and managing yeah. it. What, what do you say to those naysayers? Because there's still a lot of resistance out there. You know, again, it's it's not a strategic differentiator. It's not how you're going to compete. It's not going to how, you know. So for me, it was partly pragmatic, right? Our headquarters are here in Seattle, Washington. I'm competing with Microsoft and Amazon and Google for network and, and data center talent. Right. Like if you're a great data center person, do you come to work for Providence or do you go to work for Amazon or Microsoft? You know, that's a no brainer. Right. So part of it was, you know, just necessity. But I'm, you know. Obviously, I worked at Microsoft. I worked in the Azure division. So, you know, I have a strong cloud bias. But now that you see all this wave of innovation, AI requires massive compute. And that compute can't happen on-prem. And right. so I would tell my CIO peers, on-premise data centers are not differentiating. You're painting yourself on a corner where you can only work on legacy applications. You can't take advantage of this new wave of, of technology. And also, you know, I'll use a moving metaphor. You know, when you move, you don't take all the contents of your garage and just pack it up and move it to your new house. Same thing when you get out of the data center business and move to the cloud. That's how we retired a lot of our applications. We looked at that application and said, is the usage there, the usefulness there to move it? And about 40% of the time, the answer is no. And so we use that as an opportunity to archive the data, migrate the data, and turn the application off. And we never move that to the cloud. So that was a really strong tool of us to simplify our environment before we move to the cloud. Got it. Yeah, I assume, though, you would take your cars. I know you're a car guy. No one had about you. Only you, you the boxes that you haven't unpacked yeah, from the last time. No, yeah, exactly right. That's I, like you test. I've, you know, I've 10 t- years I haven't unpacked this box. You know, it's yeah. time to get rid of that box. That's right. That is exactly right. No, I love that analogy. It's really good. And you mentioned big tech. So Amazon, Microsoft, Google. I'd even yep. throw, you know, some of the larger retailers in there, CVS, yep. Walmart, Walmart yep. all of them are at some point have or are continuing to have strategies to get in to healthcare. We've seen an enter yeah. and leave, enter and leave. How do you how does Providence think about the big tech, the big retail and relative to will they ever make a major inroad and do you guys see them as a competitor? Do you think about them as a partner? What's the thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think they will make inroads, you know, taking Amazon. Amazon has a success in many, many different verticals and sectors. They've had a lot of starts and stops and, and they'll eventually get it right. And that's one of the decisions why we chose not to choose, you know, choose AWS for our hosting. Mm-hmm. We, you know, similar to retail, you know, when I worked at Microsoft, Walmart used to be on AWS and they realized, you know what? Amazon is our competitor in retail. It's maybe not the best place to host our cloud. So we were similar. We see Amazon eventually becoming a uh, competitor. And so we chose a a cloud platform that was more agnostic. But a CVS and some of these other partners that are going in, you know, we'd love to, they're going to succeed at some point in time. They are going to come in. So partnership could be, you know, a key, key to that. We provide some really big capital assets like our acute, you know, hospitals that they're never going to replicate or they're never going to invest in. And so, you know, how can, how can there be a partnership where as a consumer, you maybe get the best of both worlds? 
but yeah, so far the success is, is, has not been there, but it'll come. I, I'm confident it'll come eventually. I think you're right. I think we'd be naive not to think that at some point they get it right. And uh, we can't let, you know, distant intermediate us and, and just give us all the low margin, high capital business. Right. right. And they're, they're taking all the, the high margin, profitable business that would be disastrous for the industry. So that's where having the foresight and having the opportunity to partner with these partners is going to be critical. Yeah, I think that that's right. So staying on that line, but going to a different path here, you, you guys are big enough, have enough scale to, you know, hire engineering. You mentioned your, the strength yeah. of your engineering teams. How do you think about where do I partner? Where do I, you know, just do it myself? And yeah. how do you differentiate between the, what, what delineates that? Yeah, you know, it's case by case, but the feedback is, you know, you, you take a partner like Epic. If Epic isn't going to be investing in an area, like they're actually doing really good in the partnership with Microsoft around AI. Right. We're looking at the domains that they're they're doing at. Hey, let's let's hit the easy button. Let's partner with Epic, be early pilots, you know, easy early influencers of that technology and just adopt it. And then we look for white space where they're you know, Epic or Microsoft or others aren't investing in that space, or maybe even if eventually they're going to invest in that space, you know, we can have some immediate benefit. The inbox management's an example of that, then, then that's where we'll apply our precious engineering resources. But we can never be in a competitive situation. As good as my engineers are, as capable as we are here at Providence, can't compete with Microsoft, can't compete with, you know, Epic, can't compete with the, the oracles of the world. So definitely... You know, being smart about that white space and the opportunities that we can create. Well, it sounds like you've created really rich partnerships with many of them. So, yep. I think as you identify needs, you can pull on many of those partnerships or and and get real important and meaningful work done. So, it's all about caregiver experience. It's all about productivity. It it's all about patient experience, patient outcomes. And so what is the most expedient way to achieve those goals? You know, one thing I found at, at Microsoft, we like to uh, custom engineer everything. You know, <laughs> if you're an engineer, you want to engineer things. Yeah. And that's a good culture to have, especially if you're Microsoft. But at Providence, we just don't have that luxury. And so partnerships come first. And then, you know, custom engineering, custom development definitely comes second. I, I think that's a great way to think about it. So going to pivot a little bit here on just leadership. So every one of these leader to leader programs, we like to talk a little bit about just leadership in general. And I know you, you, you spend a lot of time thinking about your team and, and your yep. team is, you know, it's really important to get that right. So as you were, you know, and you're probably still building it to some extent, but as you're yep. amassing your kind of direct team, talk to me about the kind of how how do you think about that? Different skill sets, different uh, styles, different broad diversity, all of those things. Help me understand your your philosophy around building a team. Yeah, and, and admittedly, you know, I've got some subjectivity here, you know, because I have a tech background, and yeah. so you know, diversity comes in many forms. You know, one one level of diversity that we've really looked at is getting non healthcare experience, you know, into these engineering roles. You know, my observation, you know, being in healthcare for the last four years is about 20% of what we do in healthcare is unique to healthcare, mm -hmm. but that means 80% is, is not unique, right? So, you know, I told partners early on, if you came in and said, hey, I've got this amazing healthcare network expert, 
the qualifier of, of healthcare immediately turned me <laughs> off. Like, I want a healthcare network expert. I want a network expert. I want a cyber expert. You know, right. these are things that other industries are doing better. And so when I look to build up my leadership team, the type of talent I track, you know, for those kind of roles where other industries are doing better, I actively recruit from those industries. And then things like, you know, Epic, my clinical informatics, clearly they need to have deep, you know, expertise, you know, maybe have a background of a nurse or a doctor, you know, that's that differentiating 20%, you know, they need to have great clinical experience as well as technical experience. And so that's the balance I look there. That's maybe 20%. The other 80% really, you know, really is unique. And that's, you know, maybe you'll ask later, I'll, I'll, I'll interject it here. That's where we really look to, you know, India to bring in talent. Right. You know, when I came four years ago, we were a hundred percent us based workforce. And, you know, at Microsoft, we had a, a global workforce for the entire 27 years I worked there. And, and that's something we, you know, did early on three years ago. We now have 1300 Providence employees in India. Wow. And people immediately think it's outsourcing or it's labor arbitrage. It's neither. If the price of the resources in India were exactly the same as the U.S., I'd still do it because a couple of things. You get the 24 by 7 coverage, right? You've, you know, while we sleep, India's working and vice versa. You know, things like cyber and network operations are 24 by 7. As we engineer solutions, it's great to, to hand a problem off to the team in India and wake up in the morning and have the problem solved. And then, as I mentioned, our headquarters are here in Seattle. I can't afford a data scientist that could just as easily go to Amazon or Microsoft. But in India, I compete for that talent. You know, I, I can pay that premium for that talent. So I have, you know, I'd say about 40% of my workforce comes from tech. So there are ex-Microsoft employees, ex-Google, Amazon, Facebook. We really get the product group engineering talent in India that I couldn't get here in the U.S. So... That's been another form of diversity, diversity of location, diversity of a talent pool, and, and has really up, upped our game. I love that. I mean, and part of it is, is by having them be associates, they get to be, you know, ingrained in your culture and they get to yeah. know you. They're not just, you know, somebody you don't know. So they're part of your team. Yeah. Outsourcing just for these kind of critical roles just wouldn't be Doesn't an option. Yeah. And kids today, you know, if, if you listen to kids today, they want to graduate and have purpose. You know, so the example I have is your you know, a data scientist, you can go work for Amazon and help make the, you know, single click from 25 milliseconds to 23 milliseconds. And what level of life satisfaction do you get out of that? Or do you take your same data scientist and have insights into, you know, diabetes or cancer diagnosis, these other things. So you can use your talent, you know, for, for good and have that, that community impact. And so we're finding the ability to attract uh, that talent is really, really good because we have the high quality engineers where from an engineering perspective, they can be challenged, but we offer the mission that, you know, no offense to Microsoft or Amazon, they just can't offer or it's a different kind of mission that doesn't resonate as much with, with kids coming out of school. No, I, I think that's, it's excellent. I mean, I think next to maybe the clergy, you know, healthcare has a, a calling, right? It's, it's one of these yep. things that just at some point is very, very personal for every yeah. person on the face of the earth. And we're all going to. The pandemic made it more personal. It right? did. The average 20 year, year old before the pandemic didn't think about their health. Right. They didn't have to, right? They were invincible. 
but the pandemic reminded all of us that we were, you know, fragile or life could be fragile. And so it kind of engaged everybody. There's a lot of negative that came out of the pandemic, but mission and focus is one of the positive things that came out of the pandemic. I think that's great. So you, you spent a lot of years at Microsoft and you, you're on the finance side and then you're in the cloud <laughs> side. It's how does, a, you know, somebody from Microsoft in the finance world who moved to the cloud world make their way to, to healthcare? Talk to us about that journey. Yeah. So for your listeners, my degree is actually in finance and marketing. My aspirations when I was graduating from school was to go in investment banking, never became an investment banker. My second job out of college was for Microsoft. I was actually the controller of our publishing business at Microsoft. It was before the internet. I'm embarrassed to say I started at Microsoft before the internet and you learned how to, to write software by reading books. And I was the, you know, the financial controller for that publishing business. I eventually became a revenue accountant at Microsoft doing the, the core revenue reporting. And the, the way I shifted from finance, which was my clear background and more of engineering was, you know, at the time, this is in the early 90s, the core financial systems at Microsoft were very poor. And I was seen as somebody that knew finance and could teach themselves engineering. So I actually taught myself programming hmm. uh, in the 90s and built some of the core financial systems for Microsoft. Those systems are still in use today. And so I ended up getting on more of an engineering or technical track. So my team wrote the core sales and marketing systems, core operation systems. And then my last role, although as in the Azure team, vice president of engineering and Azure team, you know, my team was responsible for all the commercial commercial financial systems. So the $80 billion business is selling to, to commercial entities. You know, my team owned the systems that supported it. So kind of went from being the finance subject matter expert, the guy that wore both hats and wore, you know, did finance and wrote financial systems to, you know, my last, you know, 10 years, 15 years at Microsoft was 100% engineering. And then, you know, after 27 years, Microsoft's an amazing company. I was too young to retire. I looked around what, you know, what could I do next? And similar to the kids that are coming out of school, wanted that purpose. I wanted that purpose as well. And I saw healthcare is ripe for digital transformation. So I saw it taking my 27 years at Microsoft, my tech experience, and bring it to healthcare and helping healthcare be part of that digital transformation seemed exciting. If I would have known what was coming with, with generative AI, I would have been even more excited. I mean, I think right. this is going to truly transform healthcare, but that was kind of the impetus. That's it. So, you know, I spent a lot of years, two decades in a highly competitive high tech space as well. And you know, when I made the transition over to healthcare for very similar reasons or to the provider side, I, I just found the competitiveness to be substandard or subpar from what I had experienced in the high tech space. And, you know, I took that as an opportunity. How do I challenge the org to, you know, yep. move faster, build a more competitive culture? How are you using, you know, what you learned in your 27 years of Microsoft and bringing that to your culture inside of Providence? Yeah, one thing that, you know, big tech and Microsoft is a good example is they have this concept of failing fast, right? How do you yeah. experiment? How do you do, you know, you know A-B sampling in, in production? You know, how do you bring that kind of concept to healthcare? Because healthcare, by definition, which is a good thing, is very risk adverse, right? You don't want to fail fast on, you know, heart surgeries. You know, how do I experiment on heart surgeries? <laughs> so things like that should be very tried and true and risk adverse, Unfortunately, I think that culture kind of ebbed into the core systems of, of, of health systems. And so how do you, you know, 
bifurcate. There's some areas where you can't take risk. There are areas you can take risk. And how do we take the best practices from technology companies? In this case, you know, my knowledge at Microsoft to fail fast, experiment, move quickly, you know, move from waterfall where you're releasing something every 12 months to agile where you're getting things in production every two weeks. And so, so far the team has, has adapted well. So far the, the benefits of the organization have been fantastic. You know, it's a lifetime journey. We'll never, you know, we'll never catch up to tech. Right. But at least we're now t- chasing tech's taillights versus when I came here four years ago, there was zero interest in, in even looking to tech, you know, for, for motivation or, or inspiration. That's great. So a couple of last things here and then we can, we can wrap. But what, you know, you, you, have a lot of things that are on your plate, but would, what would you say is the biggest challenge or opportunity, you know, in front of you right now that where do you spend your time? Yeah. So I think the biggest opportunity is I'm so proud that we're on a single instance of Epic. I'm so proud we're on, you know, a single ERP and, and cloud fusion. But as I remind my team, even though that may have been multiple year journey, multiple hundreds of millions to get there, that's really step one. Now that we're on those standard platforms, how do we simplify things mm-hmm. massively, right? How do we simplify the policy? How do we simplify the business processes? How do we make it so that those systems are truly force multipliers? You know, I've said in other interviews right now in healthcare specifically, technology one plus one equals 1.5, right? Our mm-hmm. caregivers, our patients put more into a system than they get out. You know, so my focus, my biggest challenge is how do those systems become force multipliers where one plus one equals five, right? Clinicians willing to put a little information into Epic because the amount of information they get out, I think generative AI is going to be a key tool of this is huge, right? You know, summarize my visit, you know, write my case notes, you know, you know, analyze the blood results from, you know, the last visit to this visit. And now all of a sudden, instead of technology being this burden, oh my gosh, I got to spend, you know, my night, you know, at home entering into Epic. Now it's like, oh my gosh, like how did I live before without this tech? So that's my biggest challenge is how do we make technology a force multiplier versus today it's a burden for most of our our patients and caregivers. So you're going to bring back the joy of uh, (laughs) care providers. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. no, I love that. That's a big mission. 50% 50% we estimate of their work today is administrative and yeah. nobody went to medical school or nursing school. So 50% of their job can be administration. And if they did, then they're in the wrong profession. That's right. I mean, it's crazy. We, we take the most highly educated, skilled people in healthcare and yep. we force them to the keyboard and it just, it makes yep. no sense. We've got to solve that. So sounds like you're well on your way in helping solve that big, big problem. And I, I like the language that Microsoft's using with generative AI. If you notice their branding is Copilot, you know, it's Office 365 Copilot, it's Nuance DAX Copilot. And, and Copilot has this very specific thing. Hey, I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm here to take some complexity out, right? You're, you're not a lone pilot in the cockpit that's trying to manage everything. You've got a co-pilot that can, you know, work the radios, put in navigation, you know, help you look for traffic. They're, they're here to help. You're ultimately still the pilot in command. You're ultimately the person that's responsible for the health and safety of the passengers in the plane. But now you have a co-pilot to help you out. And so that's why I like to see technology, either our bespoke solutions or what we're doing with partners. How do we have that co-pilot, that helper, that administrator, that, you know, that person that helps our caregivers be, you know, as you said, you know, practice their art of medicine versus administration. Yeah, that's right. One last thing. So 
you, you said you moved after 27 years from Microsoft. You're too young to retire. You want to find something that's given you purpose. Healthcare was kind of that choice for you. Yeah. Is is it paying off? Are you happy doing what you're doing? <laughs> Most of the time I'm happy, yeah. There's some tough days for sure. sure. But if you're doing your, your job right, you're going to have some tough days. But yeah, overall, and so proud of what we've done here at Providence over the last four years. And as I mentioned, you know, we had to simplify, modernize, innovate. We had a very specific strategy, but I had no idea how well that was going to set us up for this new thing called generative AI. You know, Ben, maybe you knew a year ago this was coming. I didn't. And now that it's here, it's like, oh, my God, thank goodness we, you know, had the foresight. So now we can really focus on adopting this new technology versus, oh, crap, we got to clean up the garage before we can take advantage of all this, this right. new tech. Well, for the record, I did not know it was coming a year ago, but uh, I felt really dumb when I first saw it, you know, in January, I'm like, this thing is amazing. Like, how did did they keep this a secret for me? Yeah, that's right. Well, BJ, thank you so much. One, you know, as a lifetime healthcare guy, having people like you in in roles like you're in with health systems like Providence, Gallies, we just need more of you. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for the partnership with healthcare IT leaders. Yes. Uh, we value that immensely. And we just look forward to, you know, many more years of, of your continued success. So thank you awesome. for being part of the program. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me on your show. And thank you for giving us a voice to share the great work we're doing here at Providence. I could talk to BJ for hours. He's one of the leading minds in our industry and has a real vision for healthcare modernization. Here are my top takeaways from our conversation. One, artificial intelligence can make healthcare more efficient and improve outcomes. Providence already has compelling proof that AI-driven workflows can save lives. Two, hospitals should get out of the data center business. Moving to a cloud-based infrastructure as soon as possible is critical for scale and innovation. Three, an important part of the cloud journey is app rationalization. That means retiring underused applications and consolidating around the best-of-breed solutions. The end result is more efficiency and improved service levels. Four, a diverse workforce can come from anywhere. BJ isn't afraid to hire engineers from other industries and from outside the U.S. His own background proves you don't always need healthcare experience to succeed in healthcare IT. So what did you think? What were your big takeaways from this episode? I'd love to hear from you on our social media channels or drop me an email from our website at healthcareitleaders.com. Until next time, I'm Ben Hillis. Thanks for joining us for Leader to Leader. To learn more about how to fuel your own personal leadership journey through the healthcare industry, visit healthcareitleaders.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any insights, and we'll see you on the next episode.